as he inspired the other authors of the New Testament. Um, it's interesting how they related Proverbs. For instance, when Paul wanted to write about humility and unity, he turned to Proverbs. Uh, when Peter wanted to write about the danger of conceit, dissensions, and judgment, he turned to Proverbs. When James wanted to write about pride and presumption, he turned to Proverbs. When the writer of Hebrews wanted to encourage Christians who were enduring suffering, he turned to Proverbs. And in every one of these uh, books of the New Testament, you see these quotations from the book of Proverbs dealing with these different issues. And then what about our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's interesting that Jesus wove a parable. It's in, we're not, we're not going to turn there, but just so that you know about it, Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. In that passage, we read that Jesus wove a parable. We call it the parable of the wedding feast. And he wove it out of the first proverb that we are going to look at tonight. I think that's pretty significant and pretty special for our study tonight. Proverbs, unfortunately, is a part of the Bible that is often neglected by a lot of Christians, but uh, that shouldn't be true. And uh, so we're trying to remedy that on these times when, when we are studying it in the, in the book of, of, or on Wednesday night. And I'd encourage you to make Proverbs part of your regular Bible reading schedule. Many people have a Bible plan where they read one chapter of Proverbs a day. And uh, there's 31 chapters, and uh, so that fits very nicely whenever you want to start doing that. Uh, so uh, so uh, say it's the 10th of the month, just start with Proverbs 10. And then the next day, the 11th, you read the 11th, and so on. You always know where you are in Proverbs. Well, in honor of God's Word, let's stand as I read. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33 through 16, verse 4. <clears throat> Proverbs fifteen thirty-three: The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. This is God's word. You may be seated. The first uh, parable is titled, and, and as I've said before, the Titles of the individual Proverbs I am adapting from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs by Bob Beasley. And uh, the first one tonight in verse 33 is, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Now we've seen in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is a key verse in Proverbs. It's part of the introduction to the book. It's in chapter 1, verse 7. But here, that fear of the Lord, yes, it's the beginning of knowledge, but it also teaches wisdom. 
is what Solomon wants us to know here. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is the reverence we have for God. Uh, we think of fear and we think of trembling. Oh, I'm afraid. Uh, it, it's broader than that. It's, it's an awareness of uh, the very uh, holiness of God and our reverence for God. And there will be those times when we recognize our sinfulness where there will be the emotion of fear. But this is broader than that. It's talking about uh, our reverence for God. It's a concern to give God glory and the honor that he deserves along with the dread of avoiding giving him glory and obeying him, and the dread uh, that would prompt us to avoid anything that would offend God. All of that is wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. So this fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Now, the first lesson in wisdom is going to be in this verse, in the next in the next part of that, and that is the first lesson in learning wisdom from the fear of the Lord is humility. And part of learning that lesson of humility is then realizing that that will be followed by honor. In America, American culture, we want to go to the honor. Everyone wants honor, wants praise, wants all these things. But the Bible says... It starts with humility, and that's a key in this particular uh, proverb. Now, when he talks about humility, humility has been called, and I'm not sure who first called it this, the soil out of which the rest of Christian character traits can go. I think that's a good statement about humility, because we want the trait of um of faithfulness, we want the trait of love and all these things, but the soil out of which that grows is this quality of humility. Now, the key passage in the New Testament, and in a way in the whole Bible, on us for humility is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You're probably familiar with it, but let's turn there. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, um, and Paul in the first couple of verses is is uh, calling on us if there's any encouragement, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And he, he then gets to the point in verses 3 to 5. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he gives the greatest example of humility, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and describes how here he is eternal God, and he left all of the glory that belongs to him in heaven, and came on, came to this earth and took on human flesh, as a word took the form of a servant, and uh, even to the point of dying for us on the cross. The greatest example 
of, of humility. And then verses 6 to 11, we won't read, but they give that example of Christ. So obedience to God begins with humility. And we must believe that his way is better than ours. Uh, the person who's proud, prideful said, well, you know, my way is pretty good. And would even in their heart be saying, uh, you know, it's, it's even better than God's. I know better. But humility uh, is, is this tremendous uh, quality that uh, uh, believes his way is better than ours. Um, I've, and, and before, uh, then the next line says, and humility comes before honor. So we also know from Proverbs, the opposite of this, that, pro, that pride, the opposite of humility, leads to destruction, which is the opposite of honor. And that's a proverb that's found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 12, tells that side of it, that pride uh, leads to destruction. But here he is saying that humility comes before honor. Now, the New Testament expands on this. And I put some, some references in your notes. I'm not going to read them, but just so that you have reference to them. Matthew 23, verse 12, Luke 14, 11, Luke 18, 14, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, which we've seen, James 4, 10, 1 Peter 5, 7. Great expansion in the New Testament on this principle in Proverbs chapter 15. Now, I put in your notes a quotation from Charles Bridges. Charles Bridges uh, wrote a classic commentary on the book of Proverbs uh, back in the uh, 1800s, and, and he said this, Often then, the exaltation of the Lord's people in God's providence often leads through the valley of humiliation. So, honor follows humility. He gives some examples. Joseph was raised from the prison to the throne. Moses and David were taken from the sheepfold to feed the Lord's sheep. Gideon acknowledged himself to be of the least of the families of Israel. Ruth was humbled by adversity before she was raised to the high honor of a mother in Israel and progenitor of the, of the Savior. Abigail confessed herself unworthy to wash the feet of her Lord's servants before she was honored to be his wife. And in the daily walk of life, the humble place is the pathway to honor. And of course, the great example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He humbled himself. Remember the night before he went to the cross even took the, uh, the position of the servant in washing the disciples' feet. Uh, he was worthy that they should have washed his feet, but he took the role of the servant, grabbed a towel and a wash basin, and, and did the job that normally a servant would do. And then he went to the cross and uh, suffered uh, there the weight of sin. It doesn't get much lower than that. But then he's exalted and he's raised from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he is there today in all glory and someday he will return in glory. The cross and then the honor 
Uh, look over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 14. Luke 18 and verse 14. Jesus said, I tell you, uh, this is in the story Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, and tax collectors were considered the scum of the of, of society, and he can't even look up to heaven. He bows down, and he says, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. But then the Pharisee, in all of his pride, looks up and says, kind of like, look at me. And Jesus then, after all of that, says, I tell you, this man, that is the one who humbled himself, went down to his, his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Great words from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to apply this parable, this proverb to us by aiming not for prestige and honor, but looking for ways to serve others. Have you done that this week? Has there been some point this week where you looked for a way to serve someone else? Or have all your thoughts been on, you know, how can I be served? How can people do good things to me? But for us to think first, how can I serve? Application of this proverb. Second proverb tonight is in verse 1 of chapter 16. Think and reason things through in dependence upon the Lord. Now in chapter 16, chapter 16 is a unique chapter in the book of Proverbs because so often in the Proverbs, there's not a unifying theme in verse 1 and verse 2 and so on. But in this chapter, in verses 1 to 9, it deals with the relationship of God's sovereignty with man's activity. Very important subject. We need to know and be thrilled with the sovereignty of God and also realize uh, how it relates to man's activity. In verse 1 that we're about to read, it deals with our thinking. And it's called the plans of the heart. It's not the plans that we're doing with our hands yet, but the plans of our heart. That's our thinking. And um, so verse 1 deals with the relationship uh, with our thinking, particularly, for instance, in making a decision. And God has warned us not to lean on our own understanding. Remember, that's a key verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That really shows up, not those words, but that concept shows up uh, in, in verse 1. God did, doesn't want us to lean on our own understanding, but uh, he, that doesn't mean don't spend any time trying to have good understanding. We are to use the God-given brain God gave us, but not lean on our own understanding. We'll get into that in verse 1. And uh, he's telling us 
uh, some tremendous things about the relationship with the sovereignty of God. So look at verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man. This first line emphasizes people's ability to think. Praise God, God has given us a brain. And the ability to think and the ability to reason. Um, we love our pets and animals and sometimes marvel at the things that they seem to think and think and so on. But nothing compares with man created in the image of God and the ability that God gave us to think and to reason. And so we're not to, to forget about that. We're to use our God-given ability to reason and think things through, but to do so in complete dependence upon the Lord. For instance, a person is um, growing up and coming to the point where they begin to think about whether they should get married and to whom they should get married. Well, this is certainly something that uh, Scripture says we should take very seriously. And we should think through with the mind God has given us. Is, is that what I'm supposed to do at this time in my life? And uh, is this person person? And we'll talk about thinking through things like that in a little bit. Or... Um, of course, there are so many other things. What career to pursue? We all come to a point in our life where we're making that decision. What career should I pursue? Well, what are God's thoughts on that? And yes, think through it uh, with all the brain power God has given. What, what has he made me and equipped me to do? That kind of thing. But also to not lean on our own understanding and trust in him. We'll see that in a moment. Or what school to, to go to, or how to school your children, homeschool, public school, Christian school, and so on. And that just touches the iceberg of all the decisions that we have to make, all the way down to the little ones, like which clothes am I going to wear today? You know, we've got all these decisions. And God wants us to use our brain and to then trust in him. And so people, you know, sometimes thinking of these big decisions like who to marry and what job to do and so on, people sometimes, they've heard the expression God's will, the will of God. And they've heard people talk about finding God's will. Sometimes that gives people the impression, oh, the will of God is lost. It's secret somewhere, and you've got to go find it. And that's not exactly how the Bible presents it. Uh, God has revealed his will to us in Scripture. Um, you'll find a, a number of specific places in Scripture will say, this is the will of God. And they should be like flashing lights for us. Oh, I need to pay attention to this. I want to know God's will. This is clear. But even the verses that don't specifically say this is God, God's will, every verse that teaches God's truth, every verse that gives illustration of God's truth is speaking to us about the will of God. And uh, so 
what we need to do is to use the brain and the ability that God has given to us to think through these things. Now, you'll find on your notes I, uh, a section I am thrilled with. Pastor Steve, back in February of 2022, more than a year and a half ago, was teaching through the book of Romans and chapter 12. Uh, he just finished Romans a few weeks ago. It took that long to get from chapter 12 to, to chapter 16, and that's wonderful in the book of, of Romans. But anyway, think back to that. And in verse 12, that wonderful verse about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And Pastor Steve uh, gave us a list of things to think through. He wants us to think through making decisions, not just look somehow, I'm going to uncover this treasure of God's will, but to think through it. Uh, I put all 12 in your notes. I'm only going to take time to mention five, uh, just to give you the flavor of what they are and just encourage you. If you haven't, when he taught that, or maybe still to, to refresh your mind on that, to go through all 12 and make them part of your thinking when, when you're facing decisions to be able to think through biblically. So five of them, not, uh, not uh, all 12, but here's five of them. Does the Bible give me the freedom to do it? That's a basic question to ask. We're wondering, can I do this? Should I do this? Some things in God's word, the believer is told, Don't, thou shalt not. But we need to see, do we have the freedom to do this? Uh, would I be turning to this for happiness instead of finding my joy in the Lord? Uh, wondering about marriage. It is very easy for the whole thought, oh, marriage, oh, just uh, then I'll be happy. Well, think through what Scripture says that our happiness is to be in the Lord, and anything less than that is idolatry. Um, would it lead to temptation or towards holiness as we're thinking about some things? There might be a job you're considering, but there might be a possibility as you think about that, you know. Knowing of my inclinations, that could could really lead to temptation to sin, whereas something else could lead me to holiness. Uh, we're faced with a decision. How would it affect other people? That's an important one. God wants us to be always showing love to others. And how would this affect them? Would it show love? And then would it glorify God? That's, that's one of the very basics. Uh, God's word says, in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, do everything to the glory of God. So faced with this decision, if I choose this, can I do that to the will of God? And uh, so to think through these things, not just to kind of go blindly on the basis of emotions into uh, our decisions. So back here in the verse, the plans of the heart belong to the Lord, but, so now we come to the contrast. 
the contrast to the freedom of man to make his plans uh, is then contrasted with God's overruling sovereignty. And the two work together. That's what this verse is, is teaching. And so uh, he says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now the answer of the tongue, the word answer refers to more than replying to a question, answering a question. Um, it is more in, in the line of a response, the response, the perfect and the uh, correct response to this decision that I'm facing is from the Lord. You might say it hits the nail on the head. And uh, it is um, in the answer of the tongue. It's from the Lord. While man may plan what he thinks is best, only God, who knows everything, can put the perfect answer in a person's life. Have you ever had the experience, I would, I would imagine you have, that um, you um, think when you've responded to something afterwards, why did I ever agree to that? And then you see God worked through that in a wonderful way. That's an example of this. Yes, you had these plans and so on, but God's sovereignty was at work. And the answer of the tongue really was uh, from the Lord. And uh, this is part of the outworking of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in our lives. Trust the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So note the emphasis on God's sovereignty there. And then in the next two Proverbs, look at verse 2, the third proverb. God alone is the judge of your motives. In verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure. Uh, the idea of pure, they're innocent, they're right, um, it's the Hebrew word they would use for oils that were unmixed with anything. For instance, they really relied on olive oil for cooking and for medicine and for so many things. But sometimes you go to buy olive oil and discover it's been something else has been mixed with it and you're wanting the pure thing. So uh, this is the Hebrew word for pure, pure oils or liquids that have been un diluted. So all the ways of a man are pure. I wish it were that way in God's eyes, but he goes on to say they're pure in his own eyes. Because of our sinful nature, we have a natural tendency to justify ourselves. A person tends to think that nothing is wrong with what he does. We've all had that. It's part of our sin nature. But God knows, and he even knows our motive. And we may be saying, oh, yeah, this this that I've done and so on is just so, so pure and great. And yet you get down and look at the motives and you discover, hey, this was not done to glorify God. This was done to glorify me. And therefore, it's an impure motive. Well, God knows even our motives. The world says, 
let your conscience be your guide. But the Bible says the conscience can be seared, dulled because of our sin. Or even then we convince ourselves, oh, this is okay, when it really is something an abomination in the sight of God. You know, in, in the book of Judges, it says over and over again, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And every time it leads to disaster for Israel, as every man, every woman were doing what was right in their own eyes. You know, people won't believe their real character until they see it in the mirror of God's word. That, that was... That was a big important purpose of God's law, to be a, a mirror that we would look into. Uh, turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 7 and verse 9. Paul talks about this and talks about his own example. Remember, he was a very, before he came to salvation, he was a very self-righteous person. He certainly saw no sin in his life, and uh, he looked pretty good. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. He's saying there, you know, before I really came and looked in the mirror of God's law, I thought, I'm pretty good. And he talks about that in Philippians, gives his testimony of, boy, he kept the law so perfectly and so well. Not really perfectly, but he thought he did. And um, didn't see himself as he really was. So at that point, he was alive. He thought he is great. But when the commandment came, sin came alive. And I died. He's talking about when he came face to face with God's word. And this would have been when the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to his heart. And he never saw this before when he looked at the law. And he's going to give uh, an example about coveting. He never saw himself as guilty of breaking that commandment. And then he looks into the mirror of God's word and he discovers, I am a covetous person. And here he says sin came alive, he just alive in his mind, and I died. Not physically, but he died in the sense of I realized I'm, I'm a sinner. I am an abomination to God. And so the mirror of the word of God is what we need to see the condition that we really are in because we are so good at deceiving ourselves uh, into thinking we're fine. So all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. <clears throat> now, we're using the ESV, and ESV translates that Hebrew word, Spirit. It's interesting, the New American Standard uh, translation, which is a very good literal translation, translates it with the word motives. And I, I think that's closer to what uh, the proverb is trying to say. God is in a fair, far better position to make true judgment of our motives 
when when we come face to face and fall, we fall and pray to uh, self-deception, but we come face to face with him. Turn over to Luke again, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verses 14 and 15. Luke 16, 14 and 15. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, that's Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God is in that position to see our heart. And the word of God is a tool that God has given us so that we can recognize that. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and uh, 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. In Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and incentives of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so the word of God is that tool for us to examine our hearts right now. So we need, from this parable, we learn, we need to humble ourselves and ask him to reveal to us what he sees. There should be a prayer in our heart that was the prayer of the psalmist. Turn over to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23. David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's a prayer we should pray frequently. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So we need to humble ourselves and ask him to reveal what he sees, he sees, and that he would reveal that to us. Then we have the wonderful promises that God forgives. 1 John 1.9, we come in confession in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or Psalm 32, 1 and 2, when David was confronted with his sin and repented, and he cries out, oh, the blessedness of the person whose sin has been forgiven. Well, back in Proverbs chapter 16, let's look at the fourth of the Proverbs tonight. Commit your work to the Lord. So in light of verse 1 and verse 2, we should commit our plans and our endeavors to the Lord. Look at uh, the first part of verse 3. Commit your work 
to the Lord. That's speaking of our endeavors, our projects, our plans. Literally, that Hebrew word, uh, uh, commit, is the idea of roll over onto. Roll over onto the Lord. The psalmist said, uh, commit your burden to the Lord. Roll your burden onto the Lord. And that's the idea here, uh, to roll uh, your burdens onto the Lord. And, and, and then in 1 Peter 5, 7, kind of in light of that, 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting, same idea, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this whole concept, casting our anxieties, casting our cares, casting our plans, casting them on the Lord, it's a picture of complete dependence on the Lord, rolling them on the Lord, picture of complete dependence. That implies diligent prayer. And meditating on God's word would be involved in our rolling these things on the Lord. Now, this expression, commit your work to the Lord or roll on to the Lord, uh, is, has a sense of finality. Roll it on to the Lord and leave it there would be the idea here. Uh, too often, we make our plans and then as an afterthought, we asked God to bless what we've been working on. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Happens often. And we belatedly find out, well, that's not exactly what God's plans are. And so in the next line, we find that when we consult God from the beginning, he leads us in the way that he has planned. So commit your work to the Lord and your plans, that's the same thing as your work in the first line, your plans will be established. If we make and undertake our plans with dependence upon the Lord for their fulfillment, and, and that would be the idea of verse 1, and if we have acknowledged the Lord's scrutinizing of our plans, that would be in verse 2. And if our plans are in accord with his will, he delights to mold our plans to conform them to his will and thus establish them. That is good news. That's tremendous. I think we have a wonderful example of that uh, in the book of Acts. And we, I, don't, I think we'll probably end with this proverb and we won't be back to Proverbs, but Turn to the book of Acts, <clears throat> and uh, we in chapter sixteen. In um, in the book of Acts, when you read the accounts of Paul's missionary journeys, it's obvious that there was a high degree of planning on the part of Paul. Like these verses have told us, we're to use our mind, we're to make our plans, but also. Paul had a tremendous awareness of the guidance of the Holy, the Holy Spirit in his life and in his plans. Um, when 
we read here, it actually begins in chapter 14, but we won't read in chapter 14. Paul begins his second missionary journey. And as he begins that missionary journey, um, he and his companion Silas headed north to Galatia. They're in Antioch of, of, that's, uh, of Syria, and they're heading north for Galatia, an area that Paul had uh, taught in, in his first missionary journey, and they're going to go back there. And then they add Timothy to the team. And then we come to chapter 16 of Acts and verse 4. Acts 16 and verse 4. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for obedient, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Uh, that's dealing with what's called the Jerusalem Council that, that was making some important decisions because of some conflict that had arisen in these cities in Galatia where Paul had been, been earlier. And um, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Praise God. That's, that's great. God's at work. But then verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That word Asia, it's not China. Uh, it is a province of the Roman Empire called Asia Minor. It's Turkey today. A section of Turkey. Galatia's in Turkey, but Asia Minor is in southern Turkey. They wanted to go uh, to Asia Minor. He had Paul had his uh, his eyes on a very strategic city there called Ephesus, and so Paul, you know, used his brain power and thought through and thought, oh, if we could go to Ephesus, it's such a strategic city. And, oh, God will work in a wonderful way. Let's go to Ephesus. But this verse tells us they wanted to go to Asia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. God said no. Now, that probably puzzled Paul, but he could have easily said, but God, it makes so much sense. It's such a key city. It has such an influence all for miles and miles around. But God says no. And Paul thought that since that door was closed, well, he'll continue going north. So then verse 7. And when they had come to Mycia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so he has his plans. And then the Spirit, no, not now. This is not God's plan uh, for you. So then he goes west. Verse 8. So passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul. Remember, the New Testament has not been completed. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that before the completed revelation that we have of the New Testament, God spoke in various ways, including visions, dreams, and so on. But he has completed his revelation of through Jesus Christ, the living word and the written word. So 
God speaks to him in a, in a, in a vision. Uh, that night, a man of Macedonia. Macedonia is further west than he is. It's on the other side of a, of a, of a narrow body of water. Troas is on one side. On the other side is Macedonia, which happens to be the beginning of Europe. And uh, so this vision, this man is telling him, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you see what happened? He, he used his brain power, and uh, yet he depended upon the direction of the Lord. And um, some amazing things happened. This is God calling him to go to Europe. Uh, after time in Europe where he went to Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, he went to Berea, he went to Athens, he went to Corinth, and then back home to Antioch. And all those places, people came to Christ, came to salvation, and churches were planted. But on his way back from Europe to Antioch, he stopped briefly in Ephesus, the town he had wanted to go to so long before. And he stopped briefly in Ephesus. And uh, that planted seed, where later, after he has gone back to Antioch and the land of Israel, the third missionary journey, God opens the door he goes to Ephesus. He stays there two years. And there's an amazing statement in the book of Acts that during that time that he taught the word of God and talked about Christ in Ephesus, the word spread to where every person in Asia, that whole province, heard the gospel. You know, the first time I was struck by that was from the lips of a Muslim, of all things. Um, in 1971, I was given a trip to Israel, and it included a, church, uh, a trip to the seven churches of Revelation, which are in Asia Minor. And our guide was, he had a doctorate in history, he had a doctorate in uh, uh, archaeology, tremendous guy. He was a Muslim. But I'll never forget him telling us that it says, every person heard the word of God. I had just run over that in reading the book of Acts. I went back, and sure enough, that, that I, and it's stuck in my mind ever since. What God did was... Tremendous work. And God knew the best time. Ephesus wasn't fertile for that, apparently. When Paul, I got to go to Ephesus. But he had his plans, but he submitted to the direction of the Lord. It's a tremendous lesson in us. The Holy Spirit directed his plans to achieve God's glorious purpose. Well, I think we will end there tonight in Proverbs, but 
let's think through uh, these uh, Proverbs, these four Proverbs, review what we are to apply from them. The first one, instead of looking for prestige and honor, look for ways to serve others. Think of someone the Lord would have you serve this week and then begin to work on an opportunity to serve that person. Secondly, when making decisions, use your God-given mental ability to think through what the Bible has to say about the issue you're wrestling with, and then rest in the Lord's sovereignty on these things. And that's where that list of those 12 issues for us to think through biblically comes that you have in your notes. And then the third one, don't be quick to justify yourself. Realize God sees your heart. Humble yourself and pray. Psalm uh, 139 verses 23 and 24. Remember, search me, O God, and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And ask God to reveal to you those things that are displeasing to, to him and your heart and follow him. Then lastly, instead of making plans and then as an afterthought, asking God to bless them, roll your plans and anxieties on the Lord and let the Lord direct your plans to achieve his glorious purpose. And you know, these are tremendous principles for the person the book of Proverbs calls the wise person. And the wise person in the book of Proverbs is a person who has confessed and repented of their sin and trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Then you can apply the Proverbs. But if you're listening tonight, and yes, you read the Proverbs but you're not a child of God. You have not repented of your sin and trusted in Christ. Trying to keep the Proverbs will just be trying to a self-reformation. You can only do these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, which comes if you have come in repentance of sin and trusted Christ. Do that even now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for these Proverbs. I thank you for all the different areas of our life that they, that they uh, refer to. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would remind us in the next 24 hours of these that we have seen tonight and that we would follow through to obey what you have told us in these Proverbs. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.